When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. To all my YouTube viewers, uh, podcast listeners, you can disregard this. To my YouTube viewers, I've been talking quite a bit lately about how I want to make a shift to the podcast universe. Not, not that I'm going to quit YouTube, but I am asking my YouTube viewers to consider leaving YouTube to listen to me in the podcast realm, whether that's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or Pocket Cast or Spotify or whatever platform you want to use. There's a variety of reasons for it. I've explained it in the past, ranging from uh, YouTube's increasing uh, habit of, of silencing or, or limiting the audience for, for voices and opinions that they disagree with, as well as uh, uh, many viewers just wanting to, to listen rather than watch since my content is basically just audio with, with a neat little thumbnail thrown in there. So I said you know, recently my goal is to shoot for uh, 500 podcast listeners on average per episode by the end of 2019. Uh, for reference... When I began this push, I was averaging anywhere from 250 to 300. So I need your guys' help. I'm not going to lose any sleep about losing YouTube viewers because I want you guys in the podcast world. It's it's works better for my content. And like I said, I'm not leaving YouTube, but but it's where I want to to base my operations from going forward. But getting to the main topic of this video, I know it, it can be tedious listen to that over and over again but i'm serious about it and i get it. if you want to say that's fine disregard the message i'm not gonna be offended either way there, there's benefits to youtube but but to the video today I, I want to take some time to talk about something that has to some extent to some extent been disregarded or, or forgotten over these last uh, month or two in the sort of financial economic monetary policy world and that is the economy, the actual strength of the economy, which is sort of, in, in theory, fundamental to what the Fed does, what markets do, uh, how the 2020 election goes. So many important aspects of, of, of what traders and, and voters and, and policymakers will decide is, is based on how the economy is doing. And yet, it's so easy to get caught up in the, the most recent storyline, whether it's uh, the repo scare, which is yet to be resolved and, and may never be resolved. These these feds, uh, the Federal Reserve's temporary actions may soon prove to be permanent, first semi-permanent and then permanent, uh, or, or the U.S.-China trade deal, which has also not been resolved. And, and that's something I, I'd love to talk more about. And I'm actually uh, uh, talked about in my podcast, which will be published yesterday, actually, from, from this one. Uh, Friday, uh, talking about how the trade deal hasn't been worked down. Not even phase one is yet to be signed yet. It's, it's still kind of up in the air. Uh, so it's easy to get caught up in those topics as well as impeachment and, and plenty of other topics. But the economy, uh, as, as James Carville said, uh, Bill Clinton's campaign manager in the past, it's the economy, stupid. And I think that's true for politics, but it's just true for so many of these other aspects as well. And, and of course, the reason I'm talking about it is because I continue to be bearish on it. Now, of course, we're getting mixed signals here. Um, I'll start off with this. From uh, Bank of America, a recent uh, survey they did on investors, which 
represent a, a huge amount of, of asset management. In fact, 199 per- participants were questioned in this survey, which took place in early December, so you know, two weeks ago. These 199 participants had a combined $627 billion in assets under management. So it's not what you think, what I think, unless you're one of these participants. It's what the big money managers uh, are anticipating. And and what they're expecting is, well, there's a decreased expectation of a recession. In fact, um, heading into 2020, uh, 66% um, or global growth expectations have jumped a record 66 percentage points recently, while recession fears have recession fears have fallen 33 percentage points in the same time frame. I, be, I believe this is over the last uh, two months that these investors are sort of changing. So the expectations for recession are are falling, and the expectations for at least not a recession or or you know growth, you know stagnation or growth are rising just over the last two months. And there's probably a couple of reasons for that, and and maybe the biggest of them is is the Fed. And their their recent uh, rounds of, of liquidity and credit injection into the economy through QE and through uh, repo operations. Of course, those before I go any further, those actions which I believe are going to continue and perhaps even be ramped up in the coming months and in 2020. In addition to their interest rate cuts, that is a potential argument for why we're not going to go into a full blown recession in 2020. I get that, and and I'm more than happy to listen to that argument. Now, of course, my counter has been that, well, over time, Fed or Bank of Japan or ECB or, or government uh, or governments around the world and their interventions, their attempts to create stimulus, have kind of followed the the law of diminishing returns. That that over time they've been less and less effective. They required more and more uh, stimulus to to acquire the same amount of growth. And I think that's true for what the Fed is doing right now. Uh, but uh, but I'll concede that point that what the Fed is doing right now is uh, probably a very important reason for why so many fewer people are expecting a recession in the coming uh, year. Um, but I don't necessarily think it's going to be enough. And I think a lot of this is, is based on economic data, which is skewed. And I'll get to that towards the end of this podcast today. But also, um, it, it, it's also a lot of other measures of, of expectations and whatnot. You know, Sven Henrik, who is, who's, uh, I, I've considered doing a podcast solely focusing on his tweets because they're so great and they're so bearish and they're so right. Um, you know, he was recently <laughs> picked up on this story from Bank of America as well and, and their drop in recession expectations. And he pointed out that the same was true, the same trend was true uh, roughly 12 years ago. I think his example was October of, of 2007, um, shortly before the, the Great Recession hit, that the fears of a recession evaporated, right? There's going to be those bearish people out there that, that the percentage expecting a recession really evaporated. Just because people, even those under uh, managing a large amount of money, don't expect a recession doesn't mean that they can stop it from occurring. Uh, another big reason to, to be bearish even heading into quarter one of, of 2020 is Boeing and, and their uh, decline in or the fact that they're no longer planning on, on manufacturing their uh, 737, uh, what is it, 8 Max jets, or I forget the exact name for them, the ones that are that there's this big controversy investigation about, right? Some have estimated that that's going to cut a, a fair bit off of our, our total GDP, not because, you know, Boeing's like a quarter of U.S.'s GDP or anything like that, but when we're talking about a margin 
uh, a small margin of error for GDP to remain positive. You know, for, for quarter three, the, the most recent estimate is something like 2.1%. It doesn't take a whole lot for, in this example, uh, Boeing shutting down production of, of their, their, one of their future, the futures of their company, this, this jet, uh, to, to drop that a, a considerable amount right um uh recently we we have uh this is a headline uh, uh, an article from from zero hedge talking about china and one of their premiers china premier warnings this is the title china premier warns of economic turmoil in 2020 continued deceleration means global rebound unlikely and this is uh chinese premier li uh <laughs> i'm terrible with these names ke kiang was was quoted on state television by Reuters on Thursday as saying the economy could face tremendous tremendous downward pressure in 2020, and and this extends beyond the trade tariffs and and the ongoing trade war with the United States. It extends beyond uh, the the current inflation that they're experiencing, uh, especially in the food sector, because of this massive amount of their their pork. Uh, their their hog farms being totally wiped out by this uh, what is it Asian or African uh, swine flu or swine fever. Um, it goes beyond that. A big part of this is simply that China in 2018 and in 2019 has simply not done what they've done in the past when their economy seems to be lagging. In the past, in in during the Great Recession in 2012, 2013, in 2015. Uh, 2015, 16, 17, what they've done is they've basically turned around their credit impulse, right? They've basically increased economic growth through increased credit growth and through stimulus, central stimulus from, from their government, from their central bank. And thus far in 2019, they simply have not done that to the same extent. It's been a very small increase in their overall credit impulse. And, and it shows. In fact, CMI, uh, CMI 2.0, which is a, a measure uh, an independent measure of of, China, of of what real Chinese growth is, because most analysts that are informed realize uh, that this is from Fathom Consultings. Most analysts realize that China's official numbers are, are kind of bogus. Uh, the CMI China Momentum Indicator um, provides a more accurate view of of what their economy is actually doing in terms of growth, and it has been a steady overall decline since it, it basically peaked in 2010, 2011 at around like 13% GDP. Since then, it bottomed out in 2015, 2016, around 2%. It rebounded. But since, you know, for the last probably 18 months, probably since this trade war started, it's been on the decline again. And why is it so important? Well, first of all, China is the second largest economy in the world. And second of all, over the last 10 years, China has been the factor that has led any and every global reflation trade and reflation of the economy has staved off a global recession time and time again. They've done it three times at least, as shown by this credit impulse indicator, in the last 10 years, last 10 or 11 years, you know, to be accurate, 10, 11, 12 years, at least three times. And yet this time around, despite fears of a recession, despite the trade war, despite uh, all this going on, they have not been acting as they have in the past. Another reason to be bearish on the global as well as the U.S. economy heading into 2020. Uh, another big indicator, U.S. Steel recently uh, uh, announced that they would be uh, slashing their dividend. 
that they'd be halting their buybacks, their stock buybacks, uh, and cutting 1,500 workers amid deepening manufacturing recession. Some of that is, is Zero Hedge's article. Again, this is from Zero Hedge. 1,500 jobs cut. Now, 1,500 in the whole scheme of things is not a huge deal, even though you know these are uh, you know pretty good jobs, manufacturing jobs. But but why is it? It's because the U.S. continues to be in a manufacturing recession. Now, manufacturing is not the the center of the U.S.'s economy like it has been the fast in the past. Today, it's more so around services. Um, various types, whether it's financial sector or, or elsewhere. But manufacturing is still key. In fact, I would argue that it's the real or more, more tangible source of, of economic growth in the United States. It's been in a recession since, uh, you know, for, for many, many months now, right, in 2019. Most of 2019, it's been in a recession. Another indicator that economic growth is not what it actually should be or not that it's not somehow making a big turnaround as 2019 and 2019 comes to a close and 2020 starts same thing is true for for the transportation sector continues to be in a recession as far as i know in fact we got word like a week or two another major transportation other trucking company closing up shop like overnight the the truck drivers were like still on the road and and we're basically told like look we're we're cutting. We're, we're closing down operations overnight because that's how bad things have gotten. And, it, and this goes beyond, just like with China, for the United States, it goes beyond just the trade war or just um, you know pick your small favorite. It's it's a large secular slowdown that we're moving into, right? Uh, moving on from there, Kansas City, uh, Kansas City Fed, their uh, business survey recently has crashed to a four-year low. The lowest has been since uh, early 2016. 2016, which, of course, was was a period of, of um, fears about a recession. Uh, there, was, there was a big crash in the price of oil. There was a lot of fears about junk credit and a lot of, like, a... Um, natural resource firms here in the United States because of that crash in oil, as well as just in general, fears about a slowdown in the economy. Now, what was it that, that saved us back then? It was China, primarily, with, with a huge uh, credit injection. Uh, like in 2012 and 2013 or, or 2009 and 2010, they were the ones that, that reflated the U.S. economy. They're not doing it this time around. And again, the Kansas City Fed survey, which like like many different surveys, uh, use either 50 or zero as sort of the, the in-between point from positive to negative, fell from negative three, zero is the positive, zero is the, the neutral point, from negative three to negative eight, right? That's overall negative. This is the lowest it's been since beginning of 2016, right? And so what I'm saying is that there there's plenty of reasons for short-term to be, to be bullish on the stock market and to think that a higher stock market or the Fed and, and their attempts to, to reflate the, the financial system or, or you know, pick your, your, your contributing factor to say that that's going to stop the next recession. But these are bigger trends that can't necessarily be stopped by, by the S&P going up another 100 points or by the Fed injecting another $100 billion. That's not real economic growth. That's phony asset growth. That's phony increase in liquidity. And what we're dealing with right now as we head into 2020 is at the very least – Stagnation. Now, of course, the other problem with this is the actual data that we're being fed. You know, I said earlier how, how China's data is is oftentimes doubted by analysts because they know that it's so easily manipulated. It's smoothed out. It's just 
not real. Well, I don't know how to break this to you, but, but the same is true for the United States. That our GDP is not always calculated the best way, that it's manipulated in some way, but maybe more importantly, a key component of gross domestic product, inflation, is totally distorted. This has been something I've been harping on over the last week or two about how inflation continues to be distorted and, and under, uh, under-measured or under-reported. Uh, CPI, according to the CPI, I want to say inflation is about 2.2%. According to the PCE, personal consumption expenditure, which the Fed follows for their 2% mandate, is at 1.6%. And yet, in the real world, even if you exclude assets like, like housing or, or stocks uh, and just take into account other you know, consumer goods and, and services and whatnot, it's closer to like 5%. Right? That's like a 3% swing there. If we go from 2% to 5%, that's a 3% swing. And if all of a sudden inflation is 5% and not 2%, guess what? With that 3% swing, that moves our overall economic growth into contraction. If, if GDP is around 2 to 2.5% two and, and inflation is understated by a full 3 percentage points, guess what? We're already in a recession. So I don't want to put too much into this data, especially the the official GDP or inflation or unemployment data, because it's all bogus. It's all broken. It's all targeting specific numbers. Inflation is understated. Unemployment is understated. And GDP is always overstated. That should be no surprise, right? I'm waiting for for a firm to come out and and create something like the CMI 2.0 uh, Chinese momentum indicator 2.0 for the United States, right? That's called the UMI, the U.S. Uh, momentum indicator uh, 1.0, uh, which takes into account real inflation, real economic growth, and all of that, right? And and I have no doubt that, we, especially when you take inflation into consideration, it would show that we're in a recession. Some people would say we've been in a recession for a long time, depending on what you believe inflation's been over the last 10 years. But... Uh, Either way, whatever way you measure it, what what matters is is what's the real economic growth, right? These these phony government numbers matter to markets, and, and therefore, to some extent, they should matter to us. But regardless, we can know that that inflation is much much higher, and that all these people saying the economy is doing great, it's it's due for a huge uh, gro- a huge growth year in twenty twenty, and all of that. We can know that 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 growth is phony. It's primarily driven by increases in debt. It's primarily in the uh, services sector versus transportation and manufacturing. And even that is probably not positive when you take into account how high real inflation is. I hope you appreciate today's podcast. Again, I, I don't want to harp on this too much, but I'm going to anyways for probably the next week or two. I want you to guys check me out in the podcast world. Uh, some of you guys have asked what a podcast is. It's basically the audio version of what I do here. This is all audio, but it's on YouTube with a with a thumbnail and, and something you can look at. But podcasts have been around for a long time. All you have to do is you have to find a website or else you can install it on your tablet or your phone, uh, a various app. There's There's a ton of different platforms. You know, video is primarily on YouTube, and then of course there's Facebook and Instagram and, and BitChute and some of those other ones. But podcasts, there's a ton of different platforms that are very popular. Apple Podcasts might be the most popular, but then there's Google and and Stitcher, uh, Spotify, Pocket Casts, uh, I think Radio Public, Anchor, which I host my podcast on, so many other 
options out there. Um, so you just install it on your phone. You search Silver Fortune and you subscribe and, and listen to it the same way you listen to it here, except you can download it ahead of time. You can listen to it while you're driving, while you turn your phone screen off. Um, and, and guess what? There's a ton of other great voices out there as well. Peter Schiff, McIlvaney Weekly Commentary, uh, Greg Hunter, um, I, I think SD Bullion or, or uh, Silver Doctors, I think puts a lot of their stuff on there. Uh, macro Voices, ton of really bright voices over in the podcast world. And, and I hope that you would uh, join me over there. Again, I'm shooting for 500 listeners by the end of the year, and I hope that you consider making that move. But as always, I'm just happy to have you wherever you're listening, listening here in the first place. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in, and God bless.